0: Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. Sunday, March 1st, 2020, episode 168, The Cleanse. Hello everyone, welcome into the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. This is Kevin England. And this is the chicken episode. It's a single topic, something rattling around in my head. But since I've alluded to this in the last podcast, you can tell that this one's been festering for a while. And I'm going to get it out of my head here today. What better time to do spring cleaning than the spring, I always say. And for this episode, I want to rewind the clock. How far? How does 2008 sound? Our first day was May 3rd, 2008. It was on that day, 11 years, nine months, and 27 days ago, that we started our beekeeping adventure. And I'm being specific to make a point. On that fateful day, we were provisioned with five frames of bees. Of course if you know what's going on we started with a Nucleus colony. Now those five frames from 2008 were likely sourced from some commercial hive that had its existence at the time somewhere in New Jersey and the comb was in service prior to landing in our nice clean pristine brand new box. You know the funny thing is as I sit here today almost 12 years later I cannot with any confidence tell you that those exact frames are not in service. I want to believe they're not as I have over the years called many crusty frames but I cannot with any guarantee say that one or all of those frames is not in service somewhere. If you know me Knowing this makes my head explode and that little voice in my mind starts chastising the educated beekeeper in me. It's a little early for this, but a Kevin moment. How do you get along with that little voice in your head? Are y'all friends or do you have spats with that voice? It seems to me That one thing in life you cannot get past is that little pestering voice in your head that reminds you at every turn about the root cause problems that are at the heart of your successes and failures in life. That little voice, for me, is good at reminding that even first-year beekeepers know dirty comb can be the source of many evils. I have come to trust that little friggin' impulsive voice in my head, the one that does at the time nag me about what's wrong in my beekeeping life. And in this case, it has won. The common sense advantages for taking action and addressing these particular problems of old comb in your hives can no longer be pushed aside. So to the little voice in my head, nice talking to you. Thanks for having my back. I know truly you're on my side and a good partner. I only say to you, I hope that you have this kind of relationship with your little voice. If not, you need to work on that. Because if there's anything in this world that truly makes someone successful, the most important success behavior is you can have a mental health moment by going with the voice listening to it now if you're a little psychiatric well, maybe you shouldn't be doing that but most of us are pretty sane you know what i mean all kidding aside i'm not joking with that end of kevin moment okay let's come back to the topic at hand what gives me even more pause on the situation is knowing that our comb the physical substrate where the colony lives has been subject to treatments, environmental chemical exposures, and even more. Count out. Apivar, Teramycin, Apigard, essential oils, probiotics. That's just the stuff that we put in. Who knows what was in the wax from combs externally sourced that came into our operation over the years and this did happen i mean you know people gave me hives i got comb from donations i i you come across comb not yours stuff that people give you who knows what's in all that stuff count out the things that i know are in my neighborhood roundup neonics pesticides herbicides fungicides This is all absolutely within the forage area of our bees. Last but not least, is the chemical load in our foundation wax. Count out. Coumaphos, fluvalinate, Amitraz, and whatever other constituents that came in the foundation, which is at the core inside of almost everything that I have except for the foundationless frames that I've put in over the years. You know what it feels like? It feels like time for a cleanse. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to ask you an aside. If you decided you were going to purchase a home that someone lived in, of course, if you opened the door and the interior was dirty, in some sense, you would clean it. You wouldn't even ask a question. You would not be comfortable if you didn't take action on that. I'm going to say it this way, too. Even if the place was nice and somebody cleaned it, my guess is you would still give it a lick and a polish, as my mother used to say. You would go around and look and clean it, just so that you know you cleaned it. The same goes for the place that you occupy over time, your personal home that you own now or wherever you live. Every once in a while requires a purge and a clean. No, if I think back about it, that was the topic of the work I did to clean my office this year. So I must be on a roll about this cleanse thing. Uh, You know, this is a super quick Kevin moment. This one's for Bruce, the Might Bomb podcast guy. Which, by the way, I would recommend you check out. Bruce, this is the essence of housekeeping. (laughs) We're always in the state of taking things out and putting them away and everybody does it differently. Every once in a while, you get a sense that even for you, no matter how you run your operation, too many things are, in quotes, out, and you need to put them away. This is the essence of housekeeping, as a concept. It's about tidying things up that are left out and around, and you have a strong desire to get them put away and keep a tidy house. To me, housekeeping represents taking care of things that are lying around and need to be addressed, and it's not much different when you look at your beekeeping operation. End of Kevin moment. In the case of our hives, it becomes obvious when factoring all the conditions I just meandered through that it requires us to take action. And in my defense, I have not been totally neglectful in addressing the culling of old comb. If you listen to the program, you know over the years that I've taken steps periodically to remove old comb and introduce foundationless frames into my hives. However, even with my periodic well-meaning attempts, I feel a bit of disharmony with the haphazard way it's been managed and therein lies the rub. So here we are, find ourselves in 2020, and I'm gonna do what I do, which is come up with an organized solution and put a plan in place. A part of the theme in my mind for the operation this year is to slow down. Quality, not quantity. I've been thinking about the direction and challenges over the years, and it is clear that time is my biggest enemy. Doing more in, say, an expansion model concept, it's not working for me. It's just causing more work with similar or poorer results. Being the type A person, I feel like I know tactically that a well-planned and better managed approach is the better path for me. What better way to come back to quality than starting fresh and with a renewed optimism? So this year, I'm planning to execute a more aggressive refresh of my Himes in the form of drum roll, a comb changeover. Now there are two management practices that I know of to do a comb replacement, the bailey comb change and or the shook swarm process. I have to admit the seed for this was planted a long time ago for me. It came after hearing the topic of what a shook swarm was discussed on the Beehive Jive podcast out of London. I think it might have been their episode two. In fact, I know it is, because I took a break here for a second. Oops, we did it again, episode from 2017. That gives you an indication of how long this has been knocking around in my head. So the consideration of trying this provides the opportunity to check off two objectives, two value adds for me as a beekeeper. The first one is I get to learn a new management practice. And more importantly, as we've been discussing to my current thrust, to give our hives a new start. So I guess it begs the question for some of you out there, what are these two things? The Bailey comb change and or the shook swarm? At a high level they're both centered on removing old comb and replacing it with fresh frames but there is a fundamental difference to the extent of the way either one is operated. I've spent time looking at the description of both of these techniques and as you might imagine descriptions of how to go about it vary from whatever resource you're looking at. I don't know if there's a Mr. Bailey And Mr. Bailey wrote, this is how you do a Bailey comb change. I can't seem to find that. The only thing I could find is references of people talking about that. My guess is it's probably in some magazine from 1800s or a book or something like that, but I think I've researched uh, enough variations of them to have a general understanding. And in a lot of respects, sometimes I see that there's a little discretion left to the beekeeper. So with that being said i'm going to attempt to synthesize my understanding of each of the approaches and give an overall description while calling out the differences between the two and then we're going to go into a massive debate about which way to do it i'll start with the shook swarm the fundamentals of a shook swarm is to shake the bees onto new foundation now this is not a u.s thing my understanding is Actually, it's usually a Great Britain thing. When they do a shook swarm, they shake them into their national hives, not Langstroth hives. But anyway, I I think that's an important distinction to call out. I'm going to summarize for brevity and try to avoid a step-by-step description. One takes a existing hive off of a hive stand... It should be a strong hive specifically and preferably at the onset of a honey flow and or warmer weather, which is going to be key to the timing because the bees need to build wax. A new bottom board is placed on the stand where the original hive was, and then a queen excluder is placed on the bottom board. The beekeeper is going to go into the original hive, locate the queen prior to shaking, and purposely set it aside you don't have to do that but that's usually the recommendation some frames with foundation are put in the new box and the bees are shook or I could say this shaken into the new box from the old box once that bottom box has bees in it you're gonna relocate your queen return it to the new box on foundation and then you could put a second box on top depending on how big the colony is you're shaking in. The hive is almost always topped off with a feeder and it's fed heavily so that the bees can achieve the number one operation facing them of course with this condition which is to build wax. You're gonna leave the bees alone so they can focus on the task of building out and projections are they will take Uh, your your mileage may vary how long? Three to five weeks to achieve a, a baseline of an operational hive. That's a little squishy because that number varies all over the place. One of the key things is you put a queen excluder so the queen cannot exit. She's forced to stay there and then eventually what will happen is when they have comb she's gonna lay and once the hive is back up and operational you can remove the queen excluder and let the hive continue. So I think, based on what I know, that's a shook swarm. There's probably a bunch of people who have that little voice in their head yelling at them, he's got that wrong, there's some detail wrong. But I'm just giving you generalities. Okay, the Bailey comb change, similar but different. This one calls for collapsing the bees into one box and then supplying them with a new box of foundation above. The bees will begin to build out that top box the foundation and once they have new comb the Queen should move up and start laying eggs you the beekeeper are going to continue to do whatever inspections you need to understand when that milestone occurs and at that time with the Queen in the top box you put a Queen excluder under the top box and above the bottom box so the Queen is sequestered to the top box on the new comb. As she's building out the population above all of whatever remaining brood in the bottom box will finish and given the queen cannot get down there the bottom deep will be relegated to storage. There's going to be no brood down there. This is where a lot of these descriptions vary but the general process is At this time, you move the entire hive off of the hive stand to the side. You put a fresh, clean bottom board on the stand, the original location. You take the top box and you put it on that bottom board. And then you supply the hive. And by the way, the top box becomes the bottom box. And you supply the hive with another new fresh box filled with foundation. And then you put the roof on you close it up and of course you're going to keep feeding it. As you can gather this is going to take place in the time frame it takes for the bees to fill things out and you need to have good forage you have to have appropriate weather for wax all of those things. It is important to recognize that some methods call for placing dummy boards in the new boxes to constrain and focus the bees to build out new foundation. If they had nothing but foundation across the entire new box, they may not do well at getting it drawn out quickly. I will have links in the show notes to the true essence of how to do a bailey and a shook swarm from people who are qualified to describe them. I just wanted to give you a taste of the procedures. Now I need to reiterate again both of these are done at the start of spring and are best served to get rolling when it's warm enough to make wax but there's still enough of the season left for them to have forage and build out the colony. Now I have to admit that I recalled both of those from memory and it's possible that those who have actually done those two techniques may take issue with how I resent them. Yeah, there's probably things in the details that I got wrong, but what's funny is I don't think it matters (laughs) because I plan to synthesize these techniques and come up with what I am actually going to do. God forbid I follow the instruction. I'm going to use my common sense for biology and what I know about bees and all that plus my objectives and I am going to maybe hypothesize a hybrid approach. Hmm. And I feel like both approaches are appealing in varying ways and you have to really explore the merits and then make a choice based on your goals. So now we get to go down the rabbit hole. This is the thing that I've been alluding to about all the different nooks and crannies of these techniques. And when you explore them all, then you can come out of the hole and figure out what you're going to do. So this is going to be a little bit of a journey. Go get yourself a nice frosty beverage and a and a bowl of popcorn, because here we go. Why would one choose one approach over another? If you think about it, fundamentally the shook swarm approach is a complete and utter full purge. The Bailey approach is a stepped approach. It maintains some continuity through bringing brood in to the process. You're going to allow that brood to emerge and keep going. But doing so imparts some negative drawbacks that could be counterproductive to a cleanse. And I think I have to take a moment to expand on that. In the Bailey method, there's a period of time when the hive maintains the undesirable ecosystem that you're trying to get away from. When you add clean comb and begin the transformation of the new colony or the existing colony to new comb, whatever the old comb is imparting on the ecosystem is tainting your new future home. The simplest example about this that I could give is that the bees are walking on the old comb and whatever they're traipsing around is being brought upstairs. It's kind of like letting someone walk on the dirty floor and then come into the new addition you just built and track all the bad things in. Another more serious consideration is a mite aspect. Varroa mites. With the Bailey approach, You allow an existing colony the privilege of finishing brood that is underway. And of course, any mites that are in the cell of the brood will come forward when allowed to complete their gestation cycle. You gain the energy of the new bees emerging and keeping the colonies going, but the baggage of the mites comes along with that. So what's better than that? It's an it-depends moment. And I think you have to make a determination based on your goals. Let's explore these methods and see if we could figure out which one is more palatable. First off, there's a couple things that just have to be called out. Shook swarm, clean as a whistle, but admittedly it's shocking. And you stress the bees by ripping them out of an operational hive and placing them on foundation. From a natural standpoint, That seems kind of odd to me. On the flip side, the risks of bringing undesirable impacts forward through the Bailey method is equally unappealing. There is a distinct advantage of the shook swarm removal as you're getting rid of all the comb, which also means that you're getting rid of any mites that are in the cells. And that is the predominant place where they'll be still the shook swarm is not perfect you're shaking the entire population of bees into a new hive but that doesn't do anything for the in-between mites that are phoretic on the bees phoretic for those that don't know what it means loosely can be interpreted to they're hitching a ride on the exterior of the bees they ride on the outside of the bees until they go into the comb that is soon to be capped so yeah The mite population numbers will take a significant hit if you purge all the comb, and especially capped comb. We can come back to that in a moment. But it does not eliminate completely removing mites from the ecosystem. We'll come back to that too in a moment. In contrast, it seems to me the distinct advantage of the Bailey change is that you'll have a continued influx of new bees, and they'll be the right age, they'll be the young bees, and having those theoretically should help you get wax built pretty quickly. As we continue comparing the two methods, there's another distinct difference between the Bailey and Shook. Hmm, Bailey and Shook. It sounds like a good name for an Irish whiskey. Nothing warms your heart, soothes your soul like a smooth shot of Bailey and Shook Irish whiskey. <laughs> Okay, cohesion. (laughs) Here the Bailey method has the advantage. In the full-on shook swarm approach, there's only queen pheromone holding things in place. Queen substance, it's called. With the Bailey method, you have both queen pheromone, queen substance, and brood pheromone in play. And to me, that makes for a more cohesive hive. Now, I know in the shook method, you put a, a queen excluder. I think that's really one reason, not so much that the queen can't get out, but so the hive doesn't abscond. I'm not saying this will happen, but consider that with the shook swarm approach, you suddenly have no brood pheromone and the queen will not be laying for a while. The chemical dynamics and cohesion, they have to be more suitable with the Bailey approach with the shook approach you have no comb and when you do have comb yeah the queen will start laying but how do you know the bees won't perceive that she has a problem and they'll immediately turn to start replacing her when there was really nothing wrong with her we did this to her I'm making that up I I don't know have any practical experience but I'm trying to think through all the different implications of what could go on so then what's not to love about the bailey? The bad news, it's not all rosy. A contamination. As the bailey process goes, you place the queen excluder between the boxes and sequester the queen in the top new box when it's time to do that. All the while the workers are checking through the nasties from the bottom box into the nice new comb. It's a blessing and a curse because they can bring the brood pheromone to the new comb, but they can also check in any of the chemical compounds they come in contact with. And perhaps it's not that big of a consideration, but it's like I said before, if you have a dirty room and you're building an addition, you're chucking all those things in and maybe we want to avoid that. Then there's this timing thing. I kind of think that the Shook Swarm is a one-time event, and this is more along the lines of maintenance and uh, beekeeper interactivity. Yes, at some point with the Shook Swarm you need to come back and remove the Queen Excluder, but for the most part, dump the bees, fill the feeder, watch the thing grow. It's kind of like the Chia Pet version of beekeeping. Now in the Bailey method, it's a little bit fussier in a Langstroth kind of config. You collapse the hive to the bottom box. You remove the top deep off of the old hive configuration. You set up a new top box and put it on there. You do not put a queen excluder in. You're going to feed this for a couple weeks until the bees move up and draw a comb in the top box then eventually the queen moves up and starts to lay in the top box and here you put a queen excluder in and you monitor the hive until all the brood emerges on the bottom then you come back and you remove the bottom deep box and you restack the hive and replace the box you took away with new materials and you keep feeding until growth this takes place over weeks and if you're somebody that has a lot of hives in your operations it's going to take a concerted effort a coordinated effort to make sure you keep it all straight. Coming back to the shook swarm things seem odd to me in one particular aspect you have a colony one that's operational on a given day that you're going to perform the procedure then out of nowhere you rip them from their home replace the guts, stick them back in, over a queen excluder, and force them to start over. I said this before, and I wanted to emphasize the stress thing. There's nothing in nature that can emulate this method. It is like a swarm, but swarming occurs after a logical set of events that a colony is in control of. And unless you happen to do this on a hive that's on the precipice of swarming, I think it really is a shock to the colony inhabitants. Now i go back to our friends over the pond. They do this all the time, so I guess maybe I'm making much ado about nothing. Now if I think about, it, does the Bailey situation ever occur in nature? I think it could be plausible. Parts of a uh, comb inside of a tree this large fall, they're laying in the bottom of the hive. What would the bees do they'd keep operating in what's there and they'd build new comb next to it a hive is in a big operation and and the tree breaks and part of the hive falls with it and they have to rebuild or do something there's making stuff up here but i think it could be plausible that this can happen in nature recently after listening to a Tom Seeley book I started thinking about my struggles over the years to get bees to draw comb he outlined and asked that you don't hold me to particulars as I'm doing this by recollection a condition has to be in place for the bees to build comb it had to be and one of the key elements was the ratio of drawn comb to comb needed along with corresponding storage supplies that required new storage. It was something like this. You need a high percentage of drawn comb present, 80% comes to mind. And you also need the colony to store stuff. Coupled with the fact that they have room to build comb, let's say the other 20%. And the young bees to do the duty. You follow all that? Bees like to build comb when one they have a need, two they have the right population, and three the conditions inside the hive uh, require them to build something new in order to store because whatever they have is full. Looking at the shook swarm, that's a no. It's a hundred percent comb need. At least with the balio, the The Bailey where you keep a box on the bottom and put a new one on top until they build the top one then you do the swap the ratio is 50-50 I cannot help but think though that if we take a new brand new package from the south and put them in a new hive that somebody brand new just built it's a hundred percent and can they do it meaning can they build completely on foundation of course they can I still think that the 50-50 thing makes more sense and does not force us to traumatize the bees. If, in sense, that's what's really happening to them and they realize their entire world just got radically altered. I told you I went down the rabbit hole thinking through all this stuff. After all this, you may not believe what I'm going to say, but here goes. Maybe I should forego this Bailey Shook thing and go in a different direction. (laughs) What if I put the colony in a single deep or a double nuke or some other... I was thinking about this actually today. Space-constrained hive setup. Like collapse them down after winter. Maybe they're five or six frames and I put them in an eight-frame box. If I did that with foundation to the side of them, they would build that out. And I could keep using them in the confined space, taking into mind what Sealy said, and have them become a comb factory. And as soon as they draw out one frame, let's say I put them in a, I, I took seven frames of bees and I put them in a 10 frame box. And over in position one and position 10, I gave them new foundation and they build those out and i pull those out and i put more in and i just keep cycling in until they build it if you do this stuff in a nuke box as an aside it provides an interesting twist when the bees are constrained to a smaller box they tend not to build drone comb if they have the space in the periphery they build drone comb so if you wanted an all worker style comb to be built out you could take this alternative approach to the Bailey Shook and put them in smaller compartments. Now, depending on how you go with drones, you might like or lump that idea, but it is a factor to consider. I personally think that there's a place in this world for drones and you're gonna find out, as I've said before, that there's a really serious need for them and the fact that we're culling them or not giving them their due is probably not a good idea. Okay, I promise that's it. My brain hurts now and it's time to make a plan. To an obvious point, I completely overthought this. And the truth is I'm okay with overthinking things to this level of detail. To play what-if scenarios and run prototype ideas through my head. doesn't cost me anything but brain cells and since i like beekeeping it's somewhat enjoyable to chew on these bones for the meaty marrow in the center as the season is fast approaching i will admit i have not formalized a plan (laughs) but i'm pretty sure that i'm gonna go a modified bailey route at the time i'm recording this this is what i'm thinking and actually it follows up on a a conversation I had with Bob Kloss when we drove to the Grant Styles meeting. You know, it's funny as we recorded that with the new microphones and my microphone was upside down. So you could hear Bob in the recording, but I sounded like I was sitting in the back seat. So it's not usable, but this is kind of what we said. We talked through this whole thing, both on the way there and on the way back. And I went through all these things that I just talked about with Bob and said this is what i was thinking and he kind of liked the idea so i'm, I'm going to hang my hat on this i'm going to look in my existing hive i'm going to collapse it down at the beginning of the season when the nectar flow starts into a single box i'm going to take that box on the hive stand and move it to the side i'm going to put a new bottom board and a new box and I'm going to take any open brood, not capped, and I'm gonna move that into the center of the bottom box. I am going to take frames of foundation and put it to either side, and then I'm going to shake the colony into that box. So it's like a bailey, in that I'm bringing something forward, but I'm not bringing all the nasty comb And all I'm bringing is some open frames. Now it's possible that people in, you know, UK have already figured this out, but the goal would be that those bees would eventually be capped. And if there happens to be any Varroa mite riding on those bees, the Varroa mite would jump off and go into those frames. I could then pull those frames, once the other ones are drawn and the queen is laying, before they uncap and get rid of them, and put two more foundation frames in to replace them. So I'm kind of thinking two frames of, of open brood. Why does this work? One, I'm going to have open brood, and it's going to draw the mites in, and I can draw the phoretic mites off, but it also has brood pheromone for a period of time while the bees are getting settled and building out the foundation. The queen could keep laying and it's all about that biology aspect that I was hinting on before. Now I could go the other route and say the heck with this. I could let them build out the entire hive, leave those two frames in there for now let the bees emerge put a second box on let them build the second box up and then in time go back and get those two original comb that are nasties from previous generation and cycle them out after the bees emerge this way i take advantage of those bees that are coming out in that they create the workforce dynamic for Bailey that I talked about earlier. Now, this might bake your noodle and I've dumped my brain on this whole thing, but there's another notion that I'm thinking from a timing standpoint. If I did let that run its course, I put those two frames in, if there were any mites, they went in there, those bees emerged, there's some mites in the colony Not a good way to start a brand new fresh colony. I could do a touch-up treatment somewhere in the middle of that. And if I did it with Formic Pro, I'm going to get the mites in the cells. And then when those bees emerge, yes, some of them will be sick, but they'll be short because it's going to be the beekeeping season. And by the time they get to forager, they only have a short timeline because they're going to be out foraging from early in the morning to late at night and eventually they'll cycle out rather quickly. It's a reasonable compromise to the full-blown Shook Swarm method because it does allow something to come through and build the new colony out faster. So that's kind of where I am right now. That's kind of where I am. I have to get um, consider the dynamics of the timing. That's the next juicy bone that I'll be gnawing at. But the way I look at this is how nice would it be to have clean comb, kick the crap out of aromites in the colony, and get rid of all the old stuff that is going to get recycled into the wax melter for the season, which is an added benefit because I'll get all that melted wax. It won't go to waste. Ah, That was a long journey felt long the one thing that I'll say is with the colonies that I have available to me I might try you're gonna go all in on this method it might not be a good idea so what if I left one hive did two hives Bailey and one hive shook just so I could say I did a shook and I could compare the two and I don't know if this is a practice that people do in Langstroth hives Again, it's typically done in national hives or whatever they have over there in the UK, the jumbos, the commercials, and so on. So that's the end of that topic. I want to throw a bonus on here. Second verse, same as the first. I recently purchased a couple of drone brood frames, green pureco style. You know, I have a question about that. If you know what I mean, the ubiquitous frame for a drone brood is the yellow pierco one, and it's almost always a full deep size. One of the master beekeeper tests in the world is whether or not a frame that was cut off, why was the frame cut off? It's because you can't buy a pierco frame in a medium, and a lot of people run medium hives. So they asked master beekeepers, why does that frame look like that? Well, the funny thing is at the maryland meeting i saw a vendor there who was selling medium-sized drone brood frames so i bought one i bought two of them actually i need them for training and also because i run medium hives sometimes and i wanted to have one that's not the point of this but it leads into it we take drone brood frames and we put them in and the premise of this if you're not familiar is Varroa might like drone brood more than they like even regular brood or riding on the bees. So you put a drone brood frame in early in the season. You monitor the time that it takes for that drone brood to get capped. And then you pull the frame out and you freeze it. It kills the bees, it kills the mites. And you can then put it back in and you've eliminated that mite population. I want to go a different way with this. I just hinted at it a minute ago. What if we stop killing these drones? What if we set up, let's say you have five hives. You set up drone brood on the same day in all five hives. And you come back at the time when all of them are capped and you pull them out. You take those drone brood frames and you put them in a nuke box. And then you treat them with formic. Now here's a question I never um, thought about I started thinking through this process and I don't know the answer I'll admit it when you have a frame of brood that's capped it's not like the bees can keep it warm yes it's in a warm hive but the bees are not keeping that physical open brood warm if you look at cap cells, yeah the bees are on the top of the capping they're walking around but they're not completely covering it at all times to keep it warm. So I don't know if a frame like that can do with being taken out on a warmish day. Let's say it's above 75 degrees and put in a box and left for a period of time. And then the bees would either emerge or eventually you could take it out and put it back in a hive. And here's where I'm going with this. What if you put, as I said, a frame in five hives, a drone brood frame. You pull them all out. And instead of putting them in the freezer or giving them to the chickens to cull the mites and varroa, you put it in a nuke box and you treat it with Formic Pro. Formic Pro is going to kill the mites under the capping. But it should not kill the bees in there, the pupa, when they're capped so if you could treat those frames now do you have to take the bees into that that's the question i'm asking i don't know the answer to that or would it hurt take the bees they're going to be queenless and they'll all be on capped drone brood i think most of them would probably fly back to the original hive if they could so i don't know that you need them in there if it's a warm day you do a quick varroa treatment kill the mites under the capping and then you could return those or you could let the drones hatch out and they'll fly out and do whatever they do as drones. I don't want to boil the ocean on this but that's an idea I had. We're killing all our drones. What we really want to do is kill the mites. Is there some way, maybe this idea just doesn't work, maybe I've completely got this wrong, but... How can we make it so that we could save the drones? I want to remind everybody the energy it takes to make drones. And yes, they're in the hive and they're begging for food and they're a drain on the colony. But as I alluded to earlier, I really do believe we're going to find out. I keep saying this until it comes true. That drones actually play some sort of pivotal role in the ecosystem. So that's an interesting idea to muse about too this is what goes on in that little brain of mine Bailey shook drone, fun topic to explore, I have till, I think the beginning of March I'm sorry, the beginning of April to figure out what I'm going to do so I have about two to three weeks to get a plan together and land on it If you've tried this, if you know anything about it, if you're a UK beekeeper and and I've said stuff wrong about the Bailey Shook and you want to correct me, I would love to learn. I really don't know too much about it other than the quick recon that I did in order to produce this episode. So let me know. Uh, Look in the show notes. I will tell you that Dave Cushman website, maintained by Roger Patterson, Probably has some of the the better plainer notes about the Shook and Bailey methods along with a a plethora of other things. But they're a really good resource to get grounded on that. And there's videos and other things out on the interwebs. That's it for this episode. Uh, Episode 168. You can look in the show notes for any links that I'll provide. And with that I'll say... When beekeepers go together, we can accomplish great things. Thanks for listening, everyone, and be well. Say something. Hi. Hi. That's all you can say. Hi. No. What's going on? Nothing. Nothing. What are you doing? Just hanging out. You know what I'm doing? With my cat. Can you tell what I'm doing? Where? Oh yeah, I see her. I'm recording on the podcast and guess who's on the podcast. Oh, the podcast. oh me? You! Call him all! <laughs> wow, that's great! It's great! <laughs>